Hey, wrestling fans, this is Gary Michael Capetta, and you're listening to Perched on the Top Rope. The following podcast has been paid for by Perched on the Top Rope. Welcome everyone to Perched on the Top Rope. I am your host with the most. And as you can see, I bring home six figures a year, ladies. So if you don't like action figures, I'm sorry. Gary Michael Capetta, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Thank this is this conversation is a long time coming. You and I have had on and off uh, appointments, and I'm glad to finally see you. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for coming on today. Uh, for fans who don't know, we have done one interview with GMC. However, the, the audio from phone to phone, it, it didn't come out that well. So here we are again, and on video, going to have a great conversation. I want to start with this first before I get into everything. You wrote the screenplay for wrestling entitled Fall for the Dream. What was the, what was the inspiration to come out with a screenplay, you know, where, where most, you know, people involved with wrestling and, and you've done this too, uh, do autobiographies and whatnot. Um, it came out at the same time as my autobiography um, because when I was writing my uh, Body Slams book, the most fun that I had was writing the dialogue to, um, uh, you know, to illustrate different scenes along the way between the wrestlers and I would loosely quote just from memory in what I heard as the wrestlers voices and a screenplay is nothing more than dialogue so since I had such a good time doing that I just turned to fiction and created wrestling characters and you know use the same process to make them come to life so that when the book came out and it was self-published at first and folks called in to order the book, they also were able to order the screenplay, which I had found in book form, which I still have. And it's still available on my Facebook shop. And we will be providing that link and all the links that you can get his book and screenplay in the description below in the video to this interview, guys. I'm a big fan of the wrestling autobiographies. I, I've read yours. I am actually currently helping Mr. Hughes do his right now. And the one thing that I found interesting uh, when you spoke with Jim Ross was that you had done yours in two years full time. Yes. Fans, I don't know if anyone knows how long book writing and everything takes. I'm coming up on essentially my fourth year with Mr. Hughes, and I do it part-time. Writing that book full-time, were you also working at the same time, too? No. No, it was full-time. Um, every day, I dedicated myself to either writing new content mm -hmm. or editing what I had written before. 
And for authors who are working with wrestlers on autobiographies or just people wanting to, to break into that sort of business, what advice would you give them? Well, it probably was a little bit different for me because it truly was an autobiography, not just a biography. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I lived it. There were two rules that come to mind as you and I speak. One was there was no need to put anything in the book that would adversely affect anyone's life today. So I was careful about that. The other thing was... I think we have a tendency to get into the minutia of things. And when you have to dig too deep and think too hard, you're probably going away from what will interest other people. I think what's at the the top of your mind as you're writing, in other words, what's the most memorable to you is probably what was most interesting. So I, I tried not to dig too deep because... I I wanted to appeal not only to wrestling fans, but I also wanted a broader appeal to people who weren't as familiar with wrestling and were, you know, learning about the world in which I lived for decades. Yeah, I I really appreciate that. And, you know, when you say decades, a lot of wrestling experience with microphone and being an announcer almost coming up on 48 years doesn't feel like it but i you're right if you do the math you'd broken into the business in 1974 back when it was the wwwf with a lot of help from gorilla monsoon and i'd read that you had really said that you know he was the big one that had really helped you throughout listening to interviews between the wwf the wwwf AWA, Ring of Honor, and even part of AEW in 2020, how would you describe the differences of of all those locker rooms, especially from the different generations that you had been part of? Well, that's difficult because I was looked at differently in different decades. So in the, you know, the, the first, the early years, I was the new kid on the block. In the very, very beginning, uh, I wasn't trusted. So I wasn't even allowed in the locker room for the first two years that I did my ring announcing for um, WWF, you know, and then when you come to today, when I go out and do guest ring announcing, I have experience and people know who I am and I'm looked at differently. Uh So it's really tough to compare and it's easy to contrast my experiences in the locker rooms because I'm treated differently very differently. Speaking of that treatment, when it was WWWF and WWF, again, listening to JR, you had even said that in the 11 years working there while Vince McMahon Jr. was on commentary and you were announcing, never even on commentary brought you up as the announcer. Yeah, I was never, my name was never uttered (laughs) in commentary (laughs) for all of the years that I did there. I mean, it was just you know, that was just what he chose to do. I mean, it was, I guess you can call it like a style thing. Um, Yeah. I'm not sure. Even when wrestlers drew attention to me by interacting, by chasing me, by uh, stealing my flower and chewing on it. I used to wear a carnation boutonniere. I was never identified by name, but it it was by law, by the state athletic commission law, 
at the beginning of each TV hour, I had to name all like the, the physicians, the referees, and I named myself. So that's how people got to know my name from the, those few seconds at the beginning of each hour. Okay. And I mean, that was, a, to me, the, a real time of professional wrestling, 70s and 80s. What was your thoughts when in 1979, it goes from WWWF to WWF? I really didn't think much about it. it you know, it, it, it didn't affect me in any way. I just thought it was a marketing and it probably was. It was they wanted to shorten it and they, it was more of a marketing. Uh, the reason was for their marketing and it had, it really wasn't significant. Okay. You know, I was just thinking because in 2001, when it went from WWF to WWE, a lot of the old school fans, I think were upset by it because now it's no longer Federation, but it's now being acknowledged as the term Vince McMahon likes sports entertainment which i'd actually watched a a documentary the other day i think it was 1988 a new york state senator was trying to get wwf banned from new york and in the documentary even then vince mcmahon was referring it to sports entertainment back in 1988 this is before i watched as a fan as fans we were upset in 2001 you know, I don't even know how the wrestlers reacted to the change. So I thought maybe that, you know, back then there might've been something where they, they felt that the change was meeting a change with the, the company as well. Yeah. Well, that was a significant change. I mean, that had layers and layers of meeting beneath it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, he wanted to change the way that, that the public viewed his product totally so yeah i mean they're there now there's something to react to as opposed to just changing the number of w's that are in the logo i gotta ask because you're the only person that can say you've done this having worked in the wwf awa and nwa seemingly all at the same time i've asked other wrestlers who have done similar things how was that possible? And what was it like going from one company this week to the next company the next week, but then them, you know, wanting you to say, this is the best wrestling on earth, or this is the best wrestling company to watch and stuff like that. I don't know how it was possible because if I owned one of those promotions, I wouldn't allow it. It didn't last long because I put a stop to it. It all had to do with my announcing at the Meadowlands Arena where both the WWF and Pro Wrestling USA, which was both the NWA and the AWA, were, were holding events at the same time. And they were holding almost monthly events. So every other week I was there one time for WWF, and then the next time for NWA and AWA. And I knew that a large part of my success, especially with old schoolers and back in the day, had to do with my credibility. And my credibility 
made me more valuable to whichever promotion I was working with. So I felt that if I was going to the arenas, as you said, and saying this is the best damn wrestling in the world, and I was saying that about the competitors, that what kind of credibility would I have? So I came to a point where I had to make a decision. Was I going to continue to work with WWF or was I going to transition? And at the time, um, it was 19, I think it was 85, where uh, Vern Gagne asked me to start announcing for his new TV show on ESPN. And it was, a, it was a national broadcast as opposed to WWF, which was still regional. Um, you know, people can't wrap their minds around that because when I, all of the years that I worked, the 11 years that I worked for the McMahons, um, it was a regional promotion. It, it wasn't national. We did go, we were seen in Japan. In fact, this just yesterday, someone sent me footage of... Uh, the Japanese wrestling show showing uh, Antonio Inoki wrestling a boxer in the Philadelphia arena where I was the ring announcer. So I, I very rarely have ever had an opportunity to see my work from back then on Japanese television. So I was pretty cool. So, so the, at that point, people in Missouri and people in Florida and people in um, Canada they they were not exposed to the Vince McMahon wrestling product. Uh -huh. And this was an opportunity for me to be on national television for the first time. And I knew that I, I knew that um, I, I didn't have much of a future with WWF anyway. So I made the decision. I just stopped going to the WWF shows. Um, I didn't formally quit. They didn't fire me. I just stopped going. Um, they, they had annoyed me about other things and I, I didn't feel the need to, uh, to show them the respect that I thought that I had deserved that they never showed me. So I just started announcing for Vern Gagne. Okay. Um, and, at, and at the same time for Jim Crockett in, uh, at, at his house shows in the Northeast. Yeah. And that's, that's the interesting part that, that really, kind of intrigues me when you, you say that about you know when it came to the the wwf um i had read interviews in, in the book and uh watched interviews with you um specifically as you said being a newcomer type deal and and not being trusted you know with all of that then when you like had started with AWA, how was that treatment? Well, that once again, that was different. I had 11 years of experience Yeah. Um, by then. Uh, many of the wrestlers that I introduced in the AWA, some of their first TV matches were in the WWF. So, I mean, I was well known um, by the time that I left WWF. Yeah, the... Um... Oh man, there was, you had Ted DiBiase, Kurt Henning, Bam Bam Bigelow was there at AWA, I remember. Uh, maybe not at that specific time, but uh, Diamond Dallas Page, Scott yeah. Hall, yeah, there was even, a lot of them. Even if they didn't 
wrestle for the WWF if they grew up in the Northeast. Yeah. They grew up watching me announce yeah. wrestling as fans. So like when you mentioned a Bam Bam Bigelow who grew up in New Jersey. Yeah. So he learned to love pro wrestling through watching the WWF product. Yeah. So it, it wasn't even that I had to introduce them as wrestlers. It was just them as fans. If they grew up anywhere from Maine to Washington, D.C., New York City to Pittsburgh, then they grew up on my ring announcing. Yeah. And um, for me, it was growing up with you on WCW. Um, you know, so for me, that was that's what I watched, you know, hearing you call out, you know, Ric Flair matches and Arn Anderson and oh, I'm getting chills. I'm gonna have to watch some old school WCW tonight. Um, you know, speaking of AWA, uh, yesterday I watched, uh, AWA Super Clash 3, and I, I know that you have said that you think that it's probably seemingly the worst pay-per-view that you had been part of. I didn't think the wrestling was that bad, to be honest with you. I thought, you know, the matches were pretty good. The only thing that I, aside from what I read up on after watching it, was the size of the arena compared to the audience. But the only things I had seen that I thought were like, were things that you couldn't do today in, in on TV, really. Um, so I guess like from my fan perspective, in your perspective of it, what in your eyes made it the worst? Well, first off, it was poorly attended, which is almost yeah. unheard of for a pay-per-view. And then it was also a, a card that had the ladies lingerie battle royal. That was and one of the you, things. One of your headliners is stone. <laughs> None of that, you know, adds you know to any kind of greatness. <laughs> Uh, yeah i mean and, those are those are just the the surface memories that i have yeah no i mean that's why i said like aside from the attendance because i it's like a i remember the arena it was like a 50 a 95 100 person arena and there was maybe around 2000 something like that that were there and as a consequence i mean it was um it was dark you know it's just a darkened building so that they could hide the fact that they were so many yeah yeah it was definitely dark from from what i remember watching but i mean i thought the wrestling was pretty good that the the women's lingerie thing was one of the things that i was like yeah you wouldn't get away with on tv today and then there was another spot in the intergender tag team match that i noticed that i was like all right wow we're um i can't remember the wrestler's name but he grabs a Medusa and then his tag team partner just starts like spanking her. Cause she like ran away at first when he started it. And then the guy, one guy grabbed her and, and I was like, okay, yeah, that wouldn't go over well today. I didn't even remember that. It, you know, it's, it was creepy. I mean, yeah. The, the kinds of things that I mentioned that stick in my brain, they're all, I mean, it's just, it was just creepy. Yeah, those were the ones that stuck out to me that it was like, yeah, this is not this would not go over well today. The wrestling matches themselves, I thought were pretty good, though. But those were the things that like struck me that I was like, yeah, this would not fly today. That's why, like I asked, because I wanted to see if it was 
it's seemingly the same opinions on it that that made it the way it was but you you expect good wrestling on a pay-per-view yeah that's not something that would stand out in my mind yeah no and then um the main event with the rock and roll express ending in a i want to say it was like a double disqualification because both teams were counted out or used you know it was a street fight or something but something happened where they disqualified both the teams i remember and I think with a main event like that, that's something you don't do in a main event either. Um, I found that to be uh, the the lackluster with the main event ending that way. Yeah, you know, for any of um, any and all comments that I've ever uh, made or anything I've written in my book about Vern Gagne, mostly as a result of him being out of touch, um, he always treated me well. Um, he, um, I guess, you know, he valued his product enough so that he flew me in uh-huh. um, from the East Coast, not only to do that pay-per-view, but also to do his Wrestle Rock pay-per-view in Minneapolis. Um, and he always uh, delivered, you know, what he promised me. He always uh, was very respectful. I, I um you know, personally, I had high regards for him. Um, there was one time, um, it was when he brought me out to Minneapolis for the Wrestle Rock um, pay-per-view. It was uh, at this huge uh, Metrodome, Hubert uh-huh. H. Green Metrodome. And the morning after the show, I got a call from his secretary. Um, now, they had booked my transportation, so he knew that my flight wasn't until later in the day. Um, just to show you the kindness um, and asked if I wanted to come on over to their studios until I had to go to the airport and they would take me on a tour to see their, their uh, production facility. And, um, and I did. And, it, you know, that was very thoughtful. That, that's not something that would have happened with a McMahon. It just, yeah, you know, it was just a very kind um, gesture. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, I've always liked AWA. Um, it was just that, that I wanted to, to see the, the differences on, on, on the takes. Um, cause other than that, the only thing that I kind of wasn't a fan of was with, uh, Kerry Von Erich and, and Jerry Lawler, you know, stopping of the blood type deal. Um, and then at the end of the whole pay-per-view is you, you did get the old school vibes of, of wrestling and at that time um wrestling had already started into the the next phase and transition with the more wwf like characters i guess yeah i guess one's uh, just uh, thinking back one strength of the pay-per-view if i'm not mistaken and correct me if i'm wrong because you just saw it um was the mix of wrestlers that usually didn't compete against each other yes. because more than one promotion was represented. Yes, there was. Um, so that was cool. Yes. Uh, WCCW was there because uh, Jeff Jarrett was the lightweight champion and he wrestled on the card. Um, and I think there was another promote. There was another promotion that was involved too. Um, really? On. Jeff Jarrett wrestled on that card? Jeff Jarrett wrestled on that card. He... <laughs> Hold on, I'll be able to pull it. 
No, the reason I'm the reason I'm asking that question is um, you would not have been able to convince me that about four or five years ago at a convention, uh, which also had a wrestling card, uh-huh. and their main event was Jeff Jarrett against Matt Hardy, and I was brought in to guest ring announce that match. I would have sworn anything that that was the very first and only time that I ever introduced Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, I, I just have no memory of it. There are just so many tens of thousands of matches that I've introduced. I, I just, you know, a lot of it is just goes by me. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. He wrestled for the, and, and I'm not doubting you. I'm just, I just think it's amazing. Cause up until uh, 20 seconds ago, I thought I only introduced Jeff Jarrett once. Interesting. Yeah, no, it was WCCW light heavyweight champion Jeff Jarrett taking on Eric Embry. And it was the second match of the night because the first match was uh, Cactus Jack and uh, the Rock and Roll Express taking on the Guerrero Brothers. And then there there are countless number of um, young up-and-coming wrestlers that I introduced under different names who went on to become stars and i would not re- i know i would not remember that like a, a rob van dam mm-hmm. or um uh scott levy you know raven um you know they were they were wrestled under different names in wcw uh triple h and you know unless i'm you know keyed into it or aware for some reason um they came through um uh, quickly you yeah know, they, they weren't with the promotion they weren't signed i don't know i don't believe they were signed with the promotion but they they were not there often and their tenure didn't last long before they went on to the stardom that they achieved so it doesn't necessarily mean i mean hacksaw jim duggan when i introduced him it was jim duggan but it was never hacksaw because he didn't I mean, he was just breaking in yeah yeah um bret hart eddie gilbert um you know some of their very early matches they came through wwf and um as enhancement guys and i I wouldn't necessarily remember them i see them i see it on video now and people always send me um tapes Uh um hey you know gmc do you remember this that and the other thing and it's pretty cool i I appreciate people sending me those things um so i when when you introduce um thousands and thousands and thousands of events and tens of thousands of 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 wrestlers and matches over 40 years 50 years you know what's the chance of you remembering yeah and a lot of it yeah. Uh, and speaking of that, I- I'm glad that you had brought all that up, you know, having done, you know, commentated for thousands and thousands of, of different wrestlers and venues and everything. This is a, 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 it's one question, but in three parts, who would be your Mount Rushmore for a commentary announcing and wrestling? Um, I'm, I'm going to politely choose not to participate. Okay. All right. I don't like the, you know, the best, the worst, the most. Okay. All right. All um, right. Kinds of questions. It's. Okay. 
you're, you're always, you're never going to be able to include everyone that you admire. You're always going to leave someone out. Oh, it's yeah. always going to be interpreted one way or another. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, that's completely fine. I thank um, you for that. Yeah. For no. Letting me off the hook so easy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, it, I, honestly, it's fine. I, um, you know, it, it, that's usually one thing I like to ask anyone I interview. And then the other one is, uh, if anyone's worked with Owen Hart in any sort of capacity, I always ask them what that's like. How many people have uh, declined to answer your Mount Rushmore question? This is the first time. Okay. <laughs> this is the first time. Uh, it usually turns into like a big discussion after and then changing people in and out and everything. It, it's usually a question that takes up quite a bit of time because well, then, then people you know, start you... thinking back then you get into um why you know there yeah. are there are different reasons that different um wrestlers stand out was it was it their drawing power was it their popularity was it their wrestling skill and all of that is affected by other things some of which they have no control over yeah um so it's I'll yeah just leave it at that yeah um no that, that's completely completely fair i like that though um so now we're you know you're in wcw and what was your thought process as you're going through your career what was it like during your career to watch the sport of professional wrestling change and evolve um well, I saw a huge change just from changing promotions, mm -hmm. from um, introducing wrestlers in the Hulk Hogan WWF, those events, mid-80s, and then going to the Dusty Rhodes NWA. Uh, it was like going from um, ballet to street brawling. So, you know, just in the same time frame depending upon which product that you were exposed to, you, you know, you had very different worlds. Um, I mean, I had never seen such kick-ass wrestling as I saw with the NWA. Uh, and I started announcing for them every month in Baltimore. And then sporadically, they would come up to New Haven, Boston, uh, and Philadelphia. And I, I would, you know, do those shows too. Um, so, I mean, just, just, at, in, you know, in the same week, mm -hmm. you would, it just depends upon which promotion you looked at. Um, but your question was the evolution. You know, I, I was sold on the kick-ass once I saw it. Remember, I grew up in a territory and I yeah. wasn't exposed to other products. So that was all, that was a new um that was a new world to me. And, um, and I, I really, uh, my likes, like I really gravitated to that because the, the beauty is as a fan is to get wrapped up into what's going on. Uh -huh. And if you have a more realistic product, um, that's going to be easier to do. The hires are going to be higher the, high, the highs are going to be higher and the lows are going to be lower. So, um, yeah, I mean, the product's just in the same 
at, in the same time frame were were totally different you know when i was announcing for both yeah and uh, i'm you know i'm glad you brought up nwa what do you think of um frontman billy corgan with the nwa now and and having the nwa power as, as the studio show again and, and having that old school feel with the the new touch of what professional wrestling offers today well when he started uh, this uh, latest iteration i and i was excited for uh the potential but as time has gone on i think um the limitations of what he can do um, are obvious um so it's uh you know it's 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 fine for what it is but it's it's not going to rattle anybody's world okay um now while you're in wcw we know that left in 1995 uh this is about eric you know eric bischoff starts coming in and, and kind of running the show your last show was Slamboree 95. Um, did you know that was going to be your last show with WCW? Yes. A really good card, by the way. Uh, I believe the, the, the main event was Hogan and Savage and Flair and Vader. As each match is going on, like I, I know that there was matches with the Nasty Boys, Wahoo McDaniel, Great Muda, Arn Anderson. Steve Austin was on the card. Uh, before he stone cold, obviously he was doing, I think still doing the stunning Steve. Knowing that's your last event as each match is, is dwindling down. What was going through your mind? Um, I was, it was profoundly sad Mm -hmm. and I wasn't, I didn't necessarily know or think that I would never announce again. Um, but that was a height in my career up to that point. Yeah. Um, I, I was still relatively young when I finished there. So, um, yeah, but um, the way that it had ended wouldn't have been the way I would have wanted it to end. Um, yeah. So uh, profound sadness. And um, which is difficult because yeah. I'm portraying excitement. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. as part of you know what you know the reason that i'm there yeah. so i had to push the sadness down and kick gmc in you know the ring announcer yeah and separate how i was really feeling from what i was projecting and uh after the main event you know what was it like for you did did any anyone you know anyone come up to you and uh hugs goodbyes things like that gonna miss you did anyone know that it was your last night? Um, some did. Um, I, I, did, I went uh, back to the hotel, up to my room, and um, I got a call from my, and I would never go to the bar anyway. So it wasn't like I was ducking out of or retreating from something I usually would do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wasn't, you know, very social. It, I always found it to be a good policy and good business not to uh, not not to be around situations that could um, blow up on you. Um, but I did get a call and they wanted me to come down to the bar and I said, no, I really like I'm really not in the mood. And but Gary, they, you know, they want to say goodbye or whatever. 
So I did. I went back. Um, I guess it was the hotel bar and um, socialized a little bit. Okay. Um, now, now, after that, had WWF tried to make a move at you again um, or ECW or anything like that to try and get you to, to come in? As my contract was winding down, um, I got a call from Paul Heyman. Um, he wanted me to come into ECW um, to join them, but not as a ring announcer, but on commentary. And um, I, I, I didn't want to. So, uh, but he called me about, I'd say he called me three times uh -huh. to um, try to talk me into coming out. And uh, I said to him, Paul, like, I can't, <clears throat> like the product that you're, that you're putting out is contrary to what I'm known to be associated with. I don't even, I don't see how that could work unless you brought me on commentary. Uh, and Joey Styles is, does a great job for you. Um, unless you brought me on commentary with Joey Styles to be anti-ECW, um, I, I don't see it. And he would say, no, really it will work. I, I have this vision and, you know, I don't know what his, I, I'll, um, you know, I'll work with you. It's because I knew Paul from when he was a teenager uh -huh. and he was a photographer in, um, you know, the WWF, WWWF territory. Uh -huh. So I, I, you know, and then I worked with him in uh, WCW, in AWA and then WCW when he was the manager. Yep. So he and I went back a long time and, uh, and worked side by side over the years. Um, yeah, so that was, uh, that was the company that reached out to me. Okay. And uh, I'm, I'm actually going to jump back real quick because I, I had something that was in my head. Um, as you speak of this, uh, another one who would have, you know, that was, that you were around was, uh, actually Mr. Hughes, AWA, WCW again. Uh, he was just one of, you know, the many during your time in WCW, you got to travel, you got to travel the world. What was the, the traveling like, but what was did you have a favorite country while being able to essentially tour the world and work at the same time? Um, I, I'd say the UK. I really, I always enjoyed going to the UK. Um, I, I love Germany too. You know, Germany was, the fans were, you know, were fun. Um, they were really starved for live wrestling action. Uh -huh. So when we came to town, it was, uh, it was a truly a, a huge happening and when we toured in europe we were treated um like a touring rock and roll band so because the promoters that brought us that's what they did they you know mostly they uh they had michael jackson on tour they had prince on tour they had uh -huh. um springsteen on tour so we got the same treatment and we weren't accustomed to that um where uh they would, um, from, from city to city to city, there was um, a catering vehicle that was part of the, the caravan. 
so you got to know the cooks, you know, and, and they would cook for you. And it was, uh, you know, who, who could not like that? Yeah, um, right. I enjoyed visiting different places. I enjoyed meeting different people. Um, it was also before 9-11, so it was easier to travel. It was easier to get in and out of airports and in and out of uh, rental car companies. And so you could show up at an airport um, 40 minutes before your flight and not and drop your car off and there'd not be a problem. But um, so I don't know that I could do it today, you know, on that do that many events in the course of a year. Yeah. Uh, and still retain my sanity. Yeah. Um, I was just in Wisconsin for a guest ring announce gig a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that I could do that every day. It was, and it was enjoyable and everything went well. Took yeah. the train to the plane. Someone was there at the airport to pick me up an hour and a half to the uh, casino where I announced next morning they were there. I mean, it was, it was flawless as far as you know, those promoters, uh, it was uh, Midwest all-star wrestling. They, they did a great job and I, I appreciated their hospitality. Um, so that was the best of circumstances. And, and, and those was long days and 10 degrees below zero. And, yeah. you know, I can do it here and there, but I, I don't know about that being a daily grind for me. I'd been to London and Dublin and I thought uh, England and Ireland are two beautiful countries. And um, it, now it got me thinking um, when you had heard WCW was going to go to North Korea what did you think about that? And did you watch the Dark Side of the Ring episode on it? Um, I don't think I did watch that. Okay. And it was not something in my orbit. Um, it, it had nothing to do with me. So I really, uh, you know, at the time, um, I, I don't know, I had no connection to, to the North Korean show. Okay, if if they'd asked you to have gone and been a ring announcer, would you have done it? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, again, I was thinking of the travel, and that all just like started coming up. Um, yeah, but know, I, just, that, that was thirty years ago. <laughs> yeah, no, but like as we were talking about with with the travel and w and, and being in WCW, I was like, wait a sec. I in my head, I, I as we were talking, I was like, wait a second. He wasn't part of that. Ask about it, because now, like now, it sparks and it to me sparks an interest. Um, was he asked? Uh, what did he think of it? Uh, you know, did he talk to any of the guys that were going to go over and and get their opinions and thoughts about going and stuff like that? No, I pretty much didn't even know it was happening when it was happening. Oh wow. Okay. Um. um yeah, no, no. Like if things entered my orbit, then I would deal with them. Um, for instance, <laughs> um, the very first time that WCW toured um, Europe, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, a, a week or so in advance, we got our tickets and um, our air tickets. And all of the wrestlers got business uh class tickets and me and the referees were uh you know just got the basic coach and i said so i went into the office and i said what's this all about 
well, you know, the rest are bigger. They need more room. And I said, no, I don't think so. I said, there's a lot more to, to this, you know, so they bumped me up to um, business. And every time we traveled internationally, I was in business class. So, um, you know, that I, when, when something arose and I had uh, an issue, I addressed it. But a lot of these things that in later years are um, widely discussed or yeah, when they were happening, it, it wasn't a big deal. Okay. Now so that, to me, that was a big deal. Oh, it would be for me too. Cause it, you know, it affected my, it affected my comfort and my daily, you know, work life and yeah. how I was being perceived. That also was important to me. Yeah. I, I can, I can understand that now. Um, that, again, that was something that really, really had sparked my interest, especially with the the, the North Korea stuff. Um, and now, now knowing that with the travel, um, how did how did the how did the referees feel when when you got the bump up? I don't know. We never discussed it. Oh, <laughs> I, I felt I might be wrong about this, but I, I I do think I said something to them. I said, "What well, you know? Go in and say something." <clears throat> the you know head of security, he was up in business yeah which would make sense because that's where the stars that he was overseeing were yeah um yeah it no. was right i i used to feel badly for the business people that were traveling on those flights when yeah. they got invaded by all you know by the wrestlers because you know there was so much uh garbage that went on during those long flights when you're confined and you put so many wrestlers in a small area for that length of time and you're going to get blowups. Yeah. I've, uh, like, uh, like I said, I, I've read your book and, uh, some parts with the Steiners and PN news are pretty funny. Uh, sorry to PN news if he doesn't find it funny, but I kind of did. Um, there's, a, there's a picture in my book of, um, uh, that was taken in business class. Somebody had slipped um, uh, something in Bill Dundee's drink. Yeah. And then when he went out, they took, I think it was shaving cream and they, they spritzed the top of his head <laughs> and then they took a cherry from someone's drink and put it in the top. And he's just like leaning over and, you know, out of it. I remember there being a picture in my book of uh, of that. Also in my book, I'm, there were pictures of um, Steamboat and uh, Sting sleeping on the tour vans. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they were fun days. Yeah. Um, again, like I said, I remember reading it in the book and I, I, I chuckled because it was it was it was a funny story. And if fans want to know the story, I would highly suggest picking up the book. Um, it, it was it was it was funny I, I thought it was entertaining i'm sure at the time when things like that were going on a lot of the guys didn't find it funny with with the the pranks and the jokes and everything but i was rarely ribbed uh, it didn't mm -hmm. happen very often um but i did make the mistake coming home from a european trip in business class i was sitting in the last row of business and I made the mistake of falling asleep. 
And um, when I woke up, uh, my fingernails were painted red. You know, <laughs> that's minor. I mean, if they when they start shaving eyebrows and stuff like that, and um, how dangerous you know it might be, not knowing what anyone's allergies are, or you know, to to put something in someone's drink, you know that that I, I don't have, I don't find that amusing at all. But um, yeah, so little, and and the key is you just don't sell it, you just don't react to it, and you yeah. don't you don't make it worth being ribbed, and they'll stop ribbing you. Well, yeah, because that's what they're looking for. They're looking for the reaction, like that's what they want. Right. This part interests me. How did talks with Ring of Honor start? with 2003 because you did a lot of the um part of the dvds with like backstage interviews and things like that um that was something i initiated mm -hmm. um there was great buzz about uh ring of honor they it was uh based in philadelphia so it wasn't far from where i was so um i asked my friend eric if he wanted to take a ride over and check out the product and i i bought ringside seats and went I was blown away by what I saw. And um, I got in touch with um, Gabe Sapowski, who was in charge. And I complimented him on, you know, what I saw. And I, um, you know, and I had said to him, and this, this was at, you know, at a time where um, WWE was, uh, you know, entertainment, like getting away from, um the grittiness of wrestling and it was at a time when ecw i guess it was after ecw but you know they they had been um you know doing the violent hardcore stuff neither of those things i was uh fond of uh -huh. so when i saw ring of honor i was blown away and i said to him i you know if there's anything i can do to help out your promotion um it could be um on camera it, it could be behind the scenes it, it really doesn't matter. I'd like to contribute. And uh, the only thing that I do not want to do is ring announce. But if there's any other way that I can um, help you to continue to succeed, you know, with whatever, whatever little contribution I could make, please let me know. And a few weeks later, he gave me a call and said, how about doing the backstage interviewing? And because they had they didn't have regular TV. They had, uh, it was for their DVD collection. So, yeah. Um, and that's how that started. I initiated it. Okay, awesome. Um, was At the time, was there anyone that specifically stuck out to you in Ring of Honor that you liked? Brian Danielson. Okay. Um, but I mean, this roster, Samoa Joe, CM Punk, Brian Danielson, Nigel McGuinness, um, Jay Lethal, um, um, JW, um, was a good friend of mine, um, John Walters, uh -huh. um, and I know I'm, I know I'm forgetting a bunch of guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you see where they went from Ring of Honor and how many of those guys became you know, international superstars. Um, AJ Styles uh, was part of that roster. Um, the Hit Squad, I mean, it was, 
guy, uh, wrestler after wrestler after wrestler. They they were tremendous. Yeah, and and now that you you had a couple of those names you had brought up are are going to be part of the inaugural class of the Ring of Honor Hall of Fame. CM Punk, Brian Danielson, and Samoa Joe. Yes, uh, they're joining the the Briscoe brothers as the first class. It was there was uh, one of the one of it, it always stuck in my brain just because I always thought it was uh, kind of funny. Um, after one of the shows, uh, Brian Danielson, I don't know, I, I guess he didn't have any place to go. He hadn't booked a hotel. Um, uh, one of the other guys, uh, John Walters, was staying with me. So John says, came over to me and said, do you mind if I ask Brian if he, you know, if he could stay at your place? So I said, sure, not a problem. So they come back to my place and um, I have this uh, giant screen TV here, which at the time wasn't all that typical uh-huh. um, to have such a, you know, a large setup. Um, and I gave him a bunch of uh, tapes. I think they were tapes, could have been DVDs. No, I think they were tapes to, to you know, to watch. And he sits right here on the floor and he starts putting tapes in and he's watching. And I wanted to know if he wanted like something to drink. So he's, he's sitting on the floor here and he's watching an old NWA and I'm trying to get him to answer my question. Like you want something to drink? And he's like kind of ignoring me and he's just zoomed in and focused on what he's watching until he just, until he just like looked over at me and said never interrupt an Arn Anderson match <laughs> <laughs> and he was dead serious um and it's kind of fun now that both of them were working with AEW so there yeah. you go yeah awesome and and speaking of AEW you got to uh have a spot in AEW in 2020 with the uh weigh-ins with Le Champion, the Pain Maker, Chris Jericho, and John Moxley. How, how did that all come about? Um, they they that that was uh, live on a Wednesday night from Kansas City, mm-hmm. and the first I heard from them was four days before. It was on the Sunday, and um, I'm not sure why they were having difficulty finding me because I I think I'm kind of easy to find online, but. Uh, I was getting calls. I was getting messages that they wanted uh, to talk to me. And um, I think it was Jericho's idea. Um, I'm not as absolute. I'm not actually sure why Justin couldn't have done it, but the, the, what they told me was we, we need a big voice. Justin has a big voice. I, I got, so I don't get it. And I was flattered. Um, yeah. So um they sent me uh, a tape of a boxing weigh-in that they wanted to emulate uh-huh. so uh they didn't send me a tape they they sent me a, a video file <laughs> and um yeah so i when i saw what they wanted it was sure so you want ring introductions twice you want me to bring you to the ring that's the ring introduction uh-huh. you want me to bring each of you to the scale that's those are ring introductions that's what i do you want me to bring Jericho to the scale first so that he can take a hissy fit about being called first. Since he's the champion, he shouldn't be. I, that I can do. No problem. Yeah. I was actually going to ask about that. Like if that was all part of the plan with calling him to do it first. Yes. Okay. Um, oh, 
as you can tell by my background, I am somewhat of a collector and or nerd, depending on how you want to put it. I like the video games as well when it comes to wrestling. And I found it shocking that I believe the first video game that you were part of is 2004 with uh, the Acclaim's show, was it Showdown? Legends of Wrestling, mm-hmm. uh, PlayStation 2, Xbox. I'm personally a fan of the game because of it's all legends. You know, it wasn't like the you know current people from this roster, current people from that roster. It was all the legends. How did you get approached for that game? And you know, what was like that that process like of having to do all the voiceovers? Um I'm not sure there was anything. Um, I was doing side projects all along. At the time, uh-huh. they they were uh, the 900 numbers were um, big, so yep. I was doing the voice for um, the Lou Albano uh, 900 number, the Bruno San Martino 900 number. Um, when I wasn't on the road, uh-huh. I would take these side gigs. So I, I assume they you know gave me a call um i loved doing it it was um it was a lot of fun except what they didn't um account for was to get the gmc voice which is a booming voice you can't boom for 10 hours at a time like the voice box won't support that Mm -hmm. so um you know i would at times lose my voice and so we'd have to break and come back in the morning um, because they, they would have, they had this little uh, TV monitor with a red light, green light. Every time there was a green light, I spoke red light. I was silent and on the monitor, it had what they wanted me to say. So I, I did all of the cities at one time, all of the weights in five pound increments at one time. So Green light Baltimore, green light New York City, Phoenix, Arizona. And so I had to, and at the end, the computer was going to put it all together for one introduction. Um, 185 pounds, 190 pounds. So, so you, you, if you can hear the timber is the same for each of the pounds. Uh-huh. It had to be the same for each of the cities. And then, of course, the name of the wrestler was over the top. Uh So that when the computer, when you selected who you were going to be, and they put 225 pounds together with New York City and a wrestler's name, it it had to flow, even though I was announcing them all separately to create them. Um, Yeah, I... So I, I was I was in a recording studio and, you know, with the headphones on and the monitor there and the red and the green. And um, I had I love doing it. It was great. But give me more. This is fun. Yeah. Except my voice, you know, would give out at times because I wasn't going to come in and do anything but my voice, you know. And since I started my my a career before electricity was created. I have a booming voice. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, um, 
but yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, doing it. All right. As I sit here and, and think to myself, everything that's behind me, we see some ring announcers, commentators, and things like that have action figures. Do you think we could ever see a Gary Michael Capetta ring announcing action figure? No, I doubt it. Um, I was promised, it was never delivered, but in WCW, I was promised a uh, Gary Michael Capetta battery-operated microphone. Um, but they, they never did it. And then uh, contrary to that, um, McMahon put out in the mid-80s a Hulk Hogan workout set with an audio tape of me introducing Hulk Hogan. And um, that was a, uh, you know, that was an issue because they were taking my voice from a TV show mm -hmm. and they were using it on their toy and that they shouldn't be doing that. I mean, that's, that's, uh, inf that infringes on my rights. Yeah. I, um, they also did microphones too. I actually have, um, in my office, a couple of the toy microphones from, it might be like 1988, 1989, which, uh, I, you were already had left, which was 85, but, um, yeah, that was the idea of what they were WCW was going to do with me. Yeah. Wow. I did. I did do a trading card with them though, which is also at my Facebook shop. I believe that was the 1991 series of the cards. Sounds about right. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, I got I've got the set. To be honest with you, I just I think it was 19. I think they did a set in 1990 and 91, maybe. I don't. I something like that. Um, yeah, I've always I've always been interested because um, now there's a lot of other toy makers out there. Besides from the, you know, licensed WWE and uh aw licensed figures there's uh cello toys and and uh zombie sailor toys uh they, they make different style retros hasbros and things like that and um i'd love to be part of that yeah even, that would be fun even uh matt cardona and the uh major figure wrestling podcast have been making figures as well doing stuff like that if you guys are listening, Gary Michael Capetta would like an action figure. Let's make this happen. <laughs> I know Seriously. I'm a card in the, uh, there's a wrestling card game. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, the, the fella who uh, created it is up from New York State. Um, it's been around for a long time. So that was cool, you know, to be a playing card. Yeah. So a, a playing card, uh a figure in the and I, I sort of liked the visual depiction that acclaim did in the video game that i was part of yeah, he looked a lot better than <laughs> me so i liked it you know when you were doing the video game um this is probably the only time i'm going to try and ask something like that because again you've you, you've called out so many wrestlers and so many matches and everything Again, this is where an Owen Hart question comes up. Is that the first time you had ever announced an Owen Hart? No, I believe Owen. Uh, I introduced Owen before I left WWF. Was he as Owen Hart or the Blue Blazer? It would have been Owen Hart. Okay. All right. Well, I could be wrong, but that I, I think I did. Okay. 
was did, did Owen also go to WCW? He did do something in WCW. He had a couple matches. Now that you now that you say that, was it? And if it because if it was ninety five or or earlier, then I would have introduced him there. It was. It was. It was. Um, he had a transitional period between spots in WWF, and he had done a couple matches in WCW. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do remember Brett um, when Brett first came to WWF. Um, a lot of people don't remember, but he had a stint, and then he left, and then mm-hmm. when he came back, was when his career took off. But he was still really young the first time he came into WWF. And um, that's, you know, that was the first time that I introduced him. He was, he was a very quiet guy, very studious. Mm-hmm. He would, he would uh, come in, he would change, put his gear on, reach into his gear, grab a book, and go to the corner and read until it was time for his match. Oh, wow. Now, what do you think of the Owen Hart Memorial Cup, the, the, the men's tournament and the women's tournament that they're doing in AEW? Yeah, I think anything to uh, memorialize Owen, who was, uh, you know, a, a terrific wrestler and, and uh, you know, a wonderful guy. Uh, I'm all for it. Awesome. Gary, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. This was really, really fun and intriguing. I actually, I learned a lot. And especially in the beginning when we talked uh, about writing books and everything. What sort of advice would you give to anyone who's trying to break into the announcing business and professional wrestling slash sports entertainment now, even though I know that you had a different, a totally different way of, of how you got in compared to how it's done now? Um, number one is to get as much experience as possible. In, in, in this environment, it's easier to, um, I know that today's ring announcers may think this is like I'm crazy, but it is easier today to find work than it was when I was breaking in because wherever you lived, there was only one promotion. And usually that promotion had their ring announcer, which was me for many years with the WWF. So no one else was ever given an opportunity. And if you don't have an opportunity to hone your craft in front of a crowd, there's no way you're going to get better. So today with so many different promotions, um, you know, I would just say number one is to get out and do it. And everybody starts in the same way in that there are certain announcers that have come before you that you might pattern yourself after. But after you get out and you, um, you, you get more and more experience, you, you'll create your own persona. Um, you'll you'll you know, borrow from others, but then create your uniqueness. Work as much as you can. That's, that's the number one rule. Okay. And uh, before I let you go, what was it like being backstage with AEW? It was fun. They were, um, they were very, uh, you know, very nice to me. The announcers have their own uh, locker room. 
So I had, you know, I knew Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone. I had worked with. Um, I knew Justin Roberts uh-huh. before he, when he was still working with Indies. Uh, believe it or not, back in uh, 2001, he contacted me because I was going on tour of the Midwest to promote my book. And I hired him to come out and work with me. So I knew Justin from in a different way from, you know, way back. I had never met Taz before, but uh, it was great to meet him. Um, I'm not sure why uh, Dustin Rhodes dressed in, in, you know, that locker room, but so I got to see Dustin. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was a positive experience. Awesome. Gary Lip fans know where they can find you on social media and all that good stuff and promote anything you have coming up. Um, Facebook um, is uh, facebook.com and it's my initials GMC, the number four real GMC for real. Uh-huh. Um, that's where you'll find the, um, um, the GMC shop. If you want to purchase the book or the a signed trading card or um, t-shirts, the world's most dangerous announcer t-shirts and stuff like that. Um, I'm uh, Gary Capetta on Twitter and Gary Capetta on Instagram. So um, first weekend in May, I'm going to be at uh, an 80s wrestling convention in Morristown, New Jersey. So um, I'm in the process of transitioning my home base so um, I've been out quite a bit the last couple of months, but I'm going to slow down while I transition um, my home base. But anyway, I have booked the, uh, I think it's the first weekend in May, Morristown, New Jersey, the 80s wrestling convention. Again, Gary, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to speak with me today. Fans, you can find us Everywhere and anywhere, youtube.com slash perched on the top rope, facebook.com perched on the top rope, Twitter perched top rope, Instagram perched on the top rope podcast. You can also listen to this podcast on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, Podbay, Amazon, and anywhere and everywhere, including Spotify, that you can find podcasts. And we want to thank those who have us on their chartables, America, Ireland, Great Britain, Germany and Canada, we thank you for downloading each and every week. Gary, I hope to have you on again real soon. I thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. Thank you. And fans remember, spoiler freeze, the way to be. We're out. Mm -hmm.